You're listening to a Fair Mormon production. Welcome to Fair Mormon's Front Page News Review, where we provide context and analysis of the past week's media coverage of Mormons and the LDS Church. I'm your host, Nick Galetti, and with me via the internet is manager of the Fair Mormon Front Page News Service, Cassandra Hedelius. Hello. We hope that this will be an edifying and entertaining experience, and what we present is not to be understood as being the official position of Fair Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We speak for ourselves and sometimes not even then. So we have five news stories to get to today, so let's get to them. Why don't we start off with uh, actually a story that's kind of new, but kind of not new at the same time, involving an officer, a police officer, having a little controversy relating to a gay pride parade. Why don't you bring in that story? So this one was actually new to me. I guess that's because Fair Mormon front page, um, we generally don't include Deseret News items um, just because the purpose of it is to see what the rest of the world says about us, not what we're saying about ourselves since Deseret News is owned by the church. Um, So this was news to me. But what happened is a Salt Lake City police officer um, was given the assignment with his unit. They're the... They're, they're motorcycle officers, and so in some parades and local events, they'll do their fancy motorcycle riding and circles. security. Whatnot. No, no, not security. No. Fancy motorcycle riding. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a crucial distinction, actually. Okay, so we're not talking about him being assigned to just provide normal cop stuff security. We're talking about him and his fellow fancy motorcycle riders being assigned to do a fancy motorcycle ride in a parade that is a Salt Lake City gay pride parade. So this is like this isn't being security. They're not they're not there to make sure that nobody assaults uh, the people on the floats or do anything like that. This is right. Uh, it's kind of exhibitionist in some respects the, of the skills right. of the police officers. Okay, and that is crucial to grasp because that's his whole point here is that. So he asked someone else if he could switch the shift and have someone else fill in for him. He asked his supervisor if he could not have to do this um, because he's he said that he's perfectly comfortable if it had just been providing security. That's He's a cop. That's what cops do. He's done it before for events that he doesn't personally endorse. But, you know, you need cops to protect people. That's part of having free speech. But he's saying that because in this case, it would have meant him performing in the parade as an event in the parade. And the, the concept of the parade is contrary to his religious beliefs. He was uncomfortable with that. So that, that's the distinction here. We want to make very sure. And I think he in this article wanted to make very sure that people understood that. This kind of relates back to the, what the church was talking about to a point, right, with their, their statement a couple of weeks back regarding uh, religious conscious protections as mm-hmm. well as and as it relates to uh, homosexuality or same-sex attraction, right? This is kind of right. why, why this is still a relevant story. Right, absolutely. So the, the story then is that he was fired from, well, not fired, he was um, told that he couldn't have the time off, he couldn't avoid that assignment, and things started to get, you know, heavy pressure for him, so he resigned. Well, he was uh, placed on administrative leave, if I remember correct. 
Okay, yes. And so it's kind of a mess. He no longer works there, and he feels that he was persecuted for his religious belief. And the, the quote in there, and, you know, he's, just, he's trying to make the point. He says that, I'm willing to take a bullet for these people. I will provide protection. I'm a cop. That's what I do. But to have to personally appear and perform in the parade, that's different. And so why isn't it enough for people that he's willing to put his life on the line if need be, but he's not willing to perform in the parade, and that's, that's a problem. And I, I think it's a good point. I think this is... It's a pretty valid point. ...a great story to be able to illustrate the, the distinction here. Um, and, I mean, you brought up the church's press conference on religious liberty and um, the um, LGBT people who are trying to confine the space of religious liberty, make it harder to exercise. Um, this is, you know, exactly what the church is talking about. We're nobody's saying that, you know, if you're a cop, if you're a ambulance driver, if you're an emergency room surgeon, that you ought to be able to refuse to help gay people. That That's not it at all. That's not part of the legal basis of it. The laws that the church is proposing would not lead to that. That's simply not part of it. Instead, what the church is asking for and what people like this police officer are asking for is just the ability to not have to do things that would implicate them personally. They're you know, his um, performance in this parade or someone, I mean, you, you hear stories about people who bake cakes or provide other services for weddings, things that they put their creativity, their brand, their identity into not to have to endorse things that they have a moral disagreement with. And just that is a very important distinction. I'm glad that he um, spoke out for this article so that we could illustrate that. Well, and it's different when you're being asked to defend people's rights to free speech. It's an entirely another thing to endorse or uh, take part in the message that they carry with free speech. And exactly. that's part of the distinction here. So, all right. Well, uh, let's move on. Kind of another somewhat related issue, at least back to the LGBT thing. The next story is about uh, a student that attended, uh, past tense, Southern Virginia University. Uh, he considers himself or identifies himself to be a gay student. Um, I believe even in this article that appeared in the is it the Roanoke Times, um, at least their online uh, things. It's the, a newspaper in Virginia. Yep. Yes. Did I say it right? You're going to correct me if I said that wrong, right? Oh, I have no idea. I thought um, it was Roanoke. Ask, I don't know. I don't know. I'll ask one of my <laughs> Virginia friends and let you know. I'm so first of all, Southern Virginia University is not run or owned by the church. It's not officially affiliated by the church, but it's run by Mormons who want to have a Mormon-y school. And so like BYU, it has an honor code. Most of the students who go there are Mormon. It's just kind of the... Um, it's, a, it's a private university though, right? Yes. Oh, yes. A very private university. And so the student... It's, it's kind of unclear what the details are here, but he felt like one of the university leadership um, was harassing him. He, I think provost. the accusation was harassment, yes, because the provost is, expressed disagreement with homosexuality, which 
I, I don't know what this kid expected a provost at this particular university to yeah, think. Should not have been um, a shock at this point. Right. But the point is that the student made a complaint to the federal government and the Department of Justice opened an investigation. The investigation found that there had not been any harassment, but said, hey, Southern Virginia University, you need to put a better and more sharply defined system in place for taking care of these kind of complaints. Right. So this isn't something that, you know, I'm not freaking out about it. It hasn't gotten a whole bunch of coverage nationwide. This is not, you know, just the end times for religious freedom. However, it is an interesting story to keep in mind. One of the things that the church leaders brought up in their news conference on religious freedom is university issues. Um, of course, the church runs BYU and other universities and things like accreditation and just their ability to um, set standards for conduct of the student body. All, all of those are, I think, going to be more and more debated. There are already a lot of people who would love to see the church be forced to do things differently at their universities. So um, this is just an interesting case study in how things happened in this situation and the federal government got involved and um, as someone who, <laughs> well, it, it just made me think that this is kind of a silly aside, but a few years ago, one of my employers um, submitted an erroneous W-2 that said I made a ton of money that I didn't make, so I had to tussle with the IRS for a long time, and it was unpleasant. Nobody wants to get oh, tied sure. up with the feds. So, Well, and, and to give a quote from this article that I think actually sums it up pretty good is that uh, the Office for Civil Rights apparently was the one that, you know, some sub-bureaucracy of the Department of Justice called the Office for Civil Rights cleared the provost of doing any wrongdoing, but the quote that they put is, looking at the entirety of the circumstances from an objectively reasonable person's standpoint, uh, the provost's behavior is not sufficiently serious to qualify as sexual harassment under the, under the code. So that language is actually kind of significant in, in the narrative because they certainly did not feel that that the provost's behavior was endorsable, that he did nothing wrong, but exactly. that under the law, they didn't find any reason to, to penalize him or the institution. Now that becomes significant in the dialogue because I think that that means that this opens the door to them revisiting this, uh, title nine, uh, legislation to seeing possibly if they can strengthen the language at some point in, at least in Virginia, on an issue like that. So we'll right. see how that pans out. I'm sure it's not going away. This is probably not the last time that a student will make a complaint like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think in that statement that you quoted, um, there's just kind of an implied heavy hand there, like yeah. nice university you got here. Uh, shame if anything should happen to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and to, to kind of go from the other perspective here, there might've been some things said that weren't tastefully said. Um, on the side of the provost, he may have uh, he may have had a hand in this, but since we don't have a full laying out of all the information, it's just interesting to note that there's this conversation happening at religious conscious kind of schools uh, yeah. as it butts up against the LGBT um, issue. So, all right, next story, kind of a kind of a funner one. Um, 
Mormons hand out 2,400 copies of the real Book of Mormon outside the musical comedy performance of the Book of Mormon in Atlanta, right? Is it Atlanta or? No, Alabama. Alabama. I'm sorry, Alabama. That's right. In Birmingham. Birmingham, yep. And so I think it's a shame that this musical exists at all. It is (laughs) disgusting. Well, it is. It, It really is. I think it says a lot that it is. Uh, has sold so many tickets and has done so well. It's when, quite revered, actually. If you read through the the script and some of the excerpts from it, it is disgusting. Not just because vulgar. it attacks Mormons, but yes, very vulgar. And then you add the Mormon thing into it. And so I, I do say that it's a shame that it exists, that our culture would rejoice in such a thing. But since it exists and you're always going to have things like that opposition and all things, it is fantastic that these missionaries stood out there with their smiles and handed out a whole bunch of books of Mormons. So if anyone from Alabama is listening, um, go go to your neighbor who went to see that show and say, so have you read the book yet? Because that, that's great. That's really good. Yeah. And it, do you know, I, I didn't exactly find this. I assume that it was something that came from the the mission itself or do you know if this was something that the church at the you know at the top kind of said this would be a great idea do you know kind of where this the genesis of this came from the idea to hand out all these book of mormons um books of mormons books of mormons (laughs) i said it It wrong oh (laughs) um it sounds more localized to me they quote the um the mission president of the birmingham mission and the I'm the stake director of public affairs. I haven't heard of this happening elsewhere, yeah. um, or at least I haven't seen news coverage of it, but I could definitely see it becoming a standard practice in other places. Um, I mean, right now, the musical, it started out on Broadway, and now it's on the road going from city to city, and will probably be touring for quite some time. So, yeah, missionaries in lots of places might get the chance to do this. Yeah, and... and- I, I don't know how well this was received. I mean, this just happened a couple days ago, so it's really hard to tell what the um, results of this will be or, or how well it was received um, mm-hmm. as far as um, overall from the from the public. But, um, yeah, good good for the people in Alabama for getting out there and, and not being ugly about what is clearly a very ugly presentation of members of the church and what we do and, and going out and being positive about it. So, Right. You know, if nothing else, if nothing else from this shameful show, it did bring about a lot of kudos and goodwill to the church because our reaction was good, very measured, very positive, like, all right, have your fun. But now read the book. Yeah. All right. Next story. This one, you're going to have to like totally take over because... (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not an Islamic Muslim specialist in any way, shape, or form, but there's an article um, about ISIS, and, and which, of course, is a very, let's just call it a notable issue right now, but it doesn't necessarily have much to do with Mormonism, but somehow you've dug up an article that even talks about it, so take it away. <laughs> well, and it's actually not here. I've seen this comparison made several places, um, more on blogs, not so much in and the mainstream press, but it's kind of an obvious comparison when you think about it. So, okay, this isn't uh, something that you have to be a scholar of Islam, more just an observer of politics. 
uh, to understand that there's a debate right now. Um, ISIS exists. It is causing a lot of problems on the other side of the world. And so the debate right now among um, some politicians and others is how do we characterize ISIS? How do we talk to it? How do we talk about it? How do we deal with it? And what the question really boils down to, do we say that it's Islamic or say that it's, you know, it's not Islamic, it's a perversion of Islam? Why would we insult good Muslims everywhere by calling that Islamic? So that's, that's the debate and the um, comparison that I keep seeing made, um, both in this Slate article and, like I said, elsewhere on some blogs, is comparing the the relationship between ISIS and mainstream Islam to fundamentalist polygamous Mormons and the mainstream Mormon church, which is interesting. Um, normally, we don't love it to be compared to the fundamentalist Mormons. I mean, they're, they're excommunicated. There's really there's literally nothing more that we could do to show that they are not Mormon as we consider ourselves to be Mormon. Um, and yet the comparison is that they still have a relationship to Mormon theology. They are... Well, they share um, an origin, right? They exactly. All, they, yeah. They're, so. they're a split off branch from the Mormon church. And so people are saying, in kind of in the same way, ISIS is a split-off branch from mainstream Islam. So that's all. I just thought it was worth bringing up because it is a comparison that I'm seeing made, um, and it's a you know it's a comparison that readily comes to mind when people are trying to talk about this, which people will be talking about ISIS for quite some time. It actually seems like a good thing that people are savvy enough to know the distinction the difference because it's it would seem that there's a great many people out there that they consider it the same thing i mean i every time i tell people when i travel to new places that i'm i live in utah and they say how many wives do you have it's like come on guys that joke is that <laughs> joke is pretty old but yet it still happens so right. i actually find it to be quite refreshing that they're able to make the distinction that there might be some similar origins but they are two very different things and that that's a fair comparison, not one that I think everybody will understand, but certainly it seems actually appropriate. Right. Good point. Woo-hoo. So, People get that there's a difference. <laughs> yay. Um, not to say that the polygamists are as bad as ISIS. That's anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. not exactly <laughs> the same. That's not the same comparison. So uh, anyway, all right, let's go on to our last article for the day that... Uh, at least attribute some things to uh, Mormons, and that is that uh, Utah has, according to this article, knocked the Bible Belt off the top spot in the U.S. as far as population of people that claim to be actively church-going people. And uh, this Christian com article attributes that to the Mormons. I don't know if that's a snarky kind of attribute <laughs> or, you know, or what. They did word it rather weirdly. Um, they say Utah has topped a Gallup survey as the U.S. state with the highest incidence of church going, though the large number of Mormons in the state skews the figures. I'm like, what? I, I don't know if you know what skew the figures mean. They're, they're not skewing the figures. They they are the figures. <laughs> that's, well, the figures. That's why it's high. <laughs> the Gallup poll doesn't say anything necessarily about 
the religious breakdown, right? The Gallup poll was just who goes to church and who doesn't, right? right? I think so. Um, I haven't looked at the actual poll itself, but I think people are then pulling in data from other sources to show, say that, oh, well, half of, um, or no, sorry, 59% of the population of Utah is Mormon. Um, and so the, this article just kind of tickled me a little bit that, um, I mean, on the one hand with this news, you don't know whether to feel proud of the Mormons or sad for the rest of the country. That That is a sad thing. But, well, frankly, um, I'm not sure that the, I mean, living in Utah, not being from Utah, um, I've noticed over the last probably 10, 11 years that there actually has been kind of an influx into the state from populations outside of Utah that have established various churches, whether they just be born-again Christian kind of churches or non-denominational uh, churches. I would not be willing to go so far as to say that the fact that there's been an increase in Mormon activity, per se, that has caused this, um, as much as I would say that it just seems to be there's a greater population of people that look to Utah as a conservative place to live and religious people typically being conservative, they, they have come here. So my personal observation is that it seems that there's just more religious people in Utah, generally speaking, and that this Gallup poll is indi- indicative of that more than it is of any specific rise in Mormon activity. That could be. And I don't have any data on this, but from and talking to people... I don't think people, the Gallup poll does either. I, I think it leaves that <laughs> well, out. Well, I'm talking about this theory that I'm about to expand. Ah, go ahead. Just, Please. Just from talking to people, um, I sort of get the sense that um, people who are in Utah but who are not Mormon um, might sometimes decide to be more religious than they otherwise would have in their own churches, their non-Mormon churches, just to keep the Mormons off their backs. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard that. I guess it's all very possible since there's really no extra data other than who goes to church and who doesn't. And frankly, I don't know that they've done this test every year or this survey every year to know that if part of what's happening is that the percentage of population in other states has gone down, and that's why Utah has now risen to the top, or if there's some other factor. It really kind of stops short of that. I just think it's interesting that this Christian Today article goes further than the Gallup poll in attributing it to Mormonism, even though it really the Gallup poll doesn't say anything about that. It's just kind of an assumption based on uh, stereotypes of Mormon equaling Utah. Yeah, that could be. And, you know, if the Christian Today article, it kind kind of sets it up as, you know, Utah knocks the Bible Belt off the top spot and sets it up as this competition. You got the Mormons and you got the Bible Belt and, ah, dang, the Mormons are up one, so come on, Bible Belt. And if so, I hope so. I I say the same thing. Come on, Bible Belt, everybody. Yeah. Why not go to church? It it did it did really sadden me to say see that only seventeen percent of the citizens of Vermont regularly attend church. Right, that That's was the other thing that the thing said. Right, was that they were the lowest in, in the New uni- England. Uh, yeah. I thought it was the lowest nationwide, wasn't it? That Vermont. Oh, Vermont. Had- yeah, probably. Okay, so yeah, there you go. So sad. So all kinds of fun stuff that happened this last week. 
thank you for all your hard work with the front page news service. And uh, again, we want to encourage people to go to the fairmormon.org uh, website and sign up for the front page news service to further justify Sandra's hard work. Um, <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> yes. Subscribe, subscribe. Yes. And uh, one of the things that uh, I want to point out is that um, we have done some added efforts this last week and we'll continue to do so with our Facebook efforts and, and putting out content uh, through the Fair Mormon Facebook page. There's really a lot of good content that we're starting to put out uh, with the help of some uh, Fair Mormon volunteers. So please, uh, if you're not so inclined to go to fairmormon.org, at least like Fair Mormon on Facebook and uh, stay connected that way. And they, they've even got some suggested family home evening lessons. Yeah. And- isn't that great? Really great stuff. Yeah. Kind of branching out a little bit. It's wonderful. So um, anyway, but that's it. Uh, tune in next week when I will be in Cancun, Mexico. Oh, wait. We're not going to record next week because I'm in Cancun, Mexico. Oh, thank you so <laughs> much for bringing that up. But we'll get back to it the following week. Um, I want you guys to stay tuned for a special uh, podcast episode that we're doing with uh, a lady that I just met, but will be uh, providing us some interesting news topics to, to not only talk about on this podcast, but future ones, uh, a lady by the name of Carolina Allen. She's a founder of a project called Big Ocean Women. Her and uh, a bunch of women from uh, Mormon Women Stand website and other, uh, I guess let's just call them women-based websites within the church, are taking a huge set of delegates to the UN Council on Women and representing uh, the collective religious voice of women who want a, uh, a voice for women who choose to stay at home and be moms and and choose to be religious and, and that sort of thing. And uh, so we're going to be doing an interview with her, and doing a before interview and an after interview uh, of how things went with her delegation to the UN Council on Women. So should be kind of cool. Feel free to give us some feedback in the meantime on the Fair Mormon page on Facebook or on the blog posting for this at blog.fairmormon.org. Thanks again, Cassandra, for coming on. Thank you. This has been a fair moment.